Um, but I did want to start by sharing with you a little experience that our family had. It was about a month ago, and um, many of you will know that cooking is not my greatest passion or my greatest skill. And so we got given a voucher to try HelloFresh, and we thought, okay, yeah, we should maybe give that a go because it, it you know, provides all the ingredients and it provides the recipe. I mean, what can go wrong? Well, it turns out a few things can go wrong. Anyway, we got the box one Saturday, and if any of you have ever done those online shopping, like it's quite exciting, not online shopping, but whatever you call it, food, parcels, meals. Um, we got the box, and it was huge, and so we, we started opening it, and, and like there was so much stuff. We pulled out cans and, and vegetables and the instructions and packets and herbs and onions and garlics and all this stuff, and I was actually thinking, Oh my goodness, like what have I got myself into? But um, we organized it into meals, and the first night was okay. I tried a Japanese beef bowl, and it was reasonably straightforward. It still took a long time, I felt like it took a long time to cook. There's a fair bit of cleanup, but it tasted okay. Day one under my belt, I'm feeling good, I'm ready for day two. Day two was tandoori chicken, and we were excited about that, like that's delicious. So I, um, it started off and I got everything out and the first thing was to do the pumpkin. And it comes with this beautiful pumpkin, it was all like in this packet, peeled, diced, like gorgeous. And I didn't have to do anything so I just opened the packet and then it said to add the yogurt and the herbs and spices or something like that. And I, so I chucked it all in and put it in the oven. And I was thinking, gee, it seems quite moist, but anyway, whatever. Put it in the oven and um, then I did my chicken, I you know, got all the stuff on the outside, turned the fry pan on, put that on on and I'm ready to go to the next thing which happened to be the writer for the tandoori chicken. Well, turns out that that writer needed yogurt, the same yogurt that I had chucked in that pumpkin. And apparently you only needed two tablespoons of the yogurt for the pumpkin and the rest was for the writer. I mean, it makes sense now, but at the time I just chucked the thing in. So that was the end of the writer. I thought, oh, well, never mind. We're not going to be able to have that. And I was just about to get into the salad when suddenly the smoke alarm went off. And I realised, oh, I've forgotten about the fry pan, lifted the lid up, smoke's billowing out, smoke's in the house, the, the smoke alarm's going, I'm yelling at Sam, he's like opening all the windows, fanning the thing, trying to stop the smoke alarm. I, I pull out the chicken, which is very charcoal, and I didn't need to worry about the pumpkin, that was mush, that was like, you know, pumpkin soup, um, and made the salad, put it out. I mean, I'm cross, I'm mad, I'm stressed, I'm thinking this stupid meal. It's, Sam is so sweet, he was very supportive, and he eats anything. I put it all out. Thank goodness, thank goodness. So anyway, I put it all out. It looked nothing like the picture. <laughs> nothing like the picture. But we ate it. We used the pumpkin soup in place of the writer. And um, it actually tasted okay. Believe it or not, it tasted okay. So day three, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. Day three, this is my post, some of my posts that I had more fun posting than cooking, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> anyway, day three was another fry pan recipe. And, you know, the fry pan and I, we don't have a good relationship. So I was like, right, I'm going to read the recipe. I'm going to prepare myself. And so I was really careful this time. I, I got the chicken. It was like a chicken schnitzel. I crumbed it. I put it in the fry pan. I didn't forget. I did the vegetables. I did the salad. 
No major dramas. I got there, thank goodness. Um, it still didn't look like the picture, but actually that one was delicious. And so we enjoyed that meal, but I was done. Like, I didn't want any more HelloFresh. So the next night, it was back to chicken breast and a packet, you know? And I made this thing in 20 minutes flat, chucked on the rice, put it out. Well, the kids were less than impressed. In fact, Emma, Emma didn't even finish her dinner, and there was many dramas about that. And then when, when I put her to bed that night, she started crying, and between her tears, she said, oh, Mum, I've ruined my night, and I didn't eat my dinner, and it's just not good. And I said, oh, did you prefer the HelloFresh? And she's like, yes. And I was like, no, you know. Ah, so anyway, we thought about doing it again, um, but I haven't been able to bring myself to it. I, we put our order on hold for a number of weeks, and then just this week we actually cancelled it. Uh, maybe we'll do it again. We'll see. I'm sure it'll be better next time. But I did learn a few things. I learned that it's really important to read the recipe through first and follow it and get your quantities right and take your time and that no matter what you do, it just doesn't seem to look like it does in the picture or at least not in our household anyway. Although I'm sure some of you have more success than that. What a drama. Well, I did want to talk about a recipe book today, but not just any recipe book. I wanted to talk about not Chelsea Winter's recipe book, not Annabelle Langdon's, and not even the Edmunds cookbook, which I've got over here, which I'm pretty sure every kitchen has. That's like a staple. Not that I use it, but it is there. <laughs> I want to talk about the only recipe that we actually ever need to follow, and that is this book, yeah. The Bible. Yeah. Now we have been, yeah, that deserves a round of applause. We've been looking at this book for the last three weeks. We've been looking at truth. And so I hope you don't mind that I'm going to talk about it for one more week. Is that okay? All right. Well, the Bible is just like a recipe book because it sets out everything that we need in this world. All the ingredients, the method and the timing. And just like any kind of recipe book or rule book or manual, the closer we follow the book, the better the outcome will be. Now, in this book, you will find recipes for every aspect of life. You'll find recipes for relationships, for marriage, for how to bring up our kids, for finances, for finding your identity and self-worth, for knowing what to do in your future, for wisdom, everything we need, the recipes are all in this book. It is the greatest recipe book ever written. In fact, it is the greatest book ever written. And so, so today, I just want to finish off the series on truth by talking about the Bible and hopefully bringing us all to a new place of commitment, of passion, and you know, just bringing us to that place where we not only want to read it, but we want to live it out and apply it to every aspect of our lives. So let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what we've heard over the last couple of weeks. And we thank you that you are here with us today. And oh God, we need your word in our lives more than ever before. I pray that these, these next minutes that we have wouldn't just be uh, words, Lord, but you would just do something in our hearts that would draw us closer to you. Give us a love and a passion for your word like never before. Holy Spirit, would you just come and speak to us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, yeah. amen. Well, today I'm gonna... 
try and finish off the series on truth, and I just felt like God gave me three different things that I want to look at about following the recipe, about following the Bible. The first thing is being absolutely convinced that it is worth reading and that it is true and it is accurate. The second thing is that we need to then consume it and be consumed by it. And then the third thing is be compelled to take action, to be doers of the word, like we heard about last week. So I love the Bible. It is the one book that I actually continue to read every day, day after day. It is practical, it is full of wisdom, it is full of crazy stories and amazing facts. But I think what I love most about it is that this is God's love letter to us. In fact, this is God in written form. And when we stop and think about that, It's pretty amazing, isn't it? This is God to us in written form. I think sometimes we forget that and we need to get a hold of it. But in order for us to be committed to reading this book and living by it, we need to be convinced that it is worth reading. We need to be convinced that its contents are accurate and true. You know, when you're making a recipe before you make it, you've got to be convinced that it's worth the effort, that it's worth buying the ingredients and taking the time and putting it all together. We need to be convinced And so I want to share with you some reasons why I am convinced about the Bible that it is worth reading and following and living by. The Bible is the single most important book ever written. It is the eyewitness account of historical events of such magnitude that they have literally shaped the world. Because of this book, great projects have been undertaken. Hospitals have been built. People have been fed and clothed. The many orphanages founded. The Bible does what no other book has been able to do. It accurately predicts the, fu- the future. There are around 3,856 prophetic verses in the Bible, and many of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. You know, other religions, they have writings and they have books, but they can't accurately predict the future. And then there's the scientific accuracy of the Bible. Science is is still, you know, just discovering what the Bible has stated hundreds and thousands of years ago. Until up to six centuries ago, before Columbus sailed the world, everyone thought that the world was flat, right? But did you know that in the Bible over 2,000 years ago, in Isaiah 40, 22, it said, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The Bible already foretold that the earth was a circle. It is the most published book and continues to be the world's bestseller year after year after year. In all the centuries that have passed, none of its contents have ever been found incorrect. It is all true. And what is amazing is that new discoveries of previously unknown ancient manuscripts continue to prove the accuracy and the reliability of the Bible. I love that. It has been sifted, studied, commentated upon, and dissected more than any other book in history. New discoveries always support it, never vice versa, and it's never once been proved faulty on any single detail, even though many have tried and failed. This book has been praised, cursed, restricted, banned, burned, and fought over. People swear on it and at it. Some have tried to eliminate it. All who have tried have failed. People have, been suff- uh, people have suffered torture and loss of freedom and even their lives over printing it. William Tyndale was one of those men. I want to share with you his story. Born in 1494 in England and from a wealthy and educated family, Tyndale began studying theology. However, he was appalled that the subject did not include reading the Bible. 
And um, Tyndale could speak seven languages. He was proficient in ancient Hebrew and Greek, and he became passionate about sharing the Bible with his fellow countrymen. And so he figured what better way to do that than to put an English version of the New Testament into their hands. This, in fact, became William Tyndale's passion for life. William was keen to translate the New Testament from Greek to English, but he needed permission to do that. So he went to England, uh, to London, to seek permission, but um, he realized that he would never be able to translate it while in London. So then he moved to Germany, and uh, he translated the New Testament from the original Greek into English. The new translation was printed, and 1,526 copies were smuggled into England. Catholics in England were alarmed. The Bishop of London banned the new translation and burnt the copies of the New Testament. However, despite the bishop burning the copies of the book, it continued to circulate. I love that. So authorities bought up the copy of the translation. They began to hatch plans to silence Tyndale. Meanwhile, Tyndale had moved to Antwerp in Belgium, a city where he was relatively free from the English agents and from those of the Holy Roman Empire. So for nine years, with the help of his friends, he managed to um, continue translating the New Testament. He revised that, and he began translating the Old Testament. His translations, it would turn out, would become decisive in the history of the English Bible and of the English language. In May 1535, Tyndale was condemned as a heretic, and he was delivered to the secular authorities for punishment. On Friday, October the 6th, after local officials took their seats, Tyndale was brought to the cross in the middle of the town square and given a chance to recant. He refused, so he was given a moment to pray. It said that he cried out, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And then he was bound and executed. William Tyndale was absolutely convinced that the Bible was 100% true and accurate. He was convinced that it was essential to every believer. He was convinced that it was worth spending his life trying to translate. In fact, he was convinced that it was worth dying for. He was convinced. So good. William Ramsey was a renowned archaeologist and New Testament scholar from Scotland. He was knighted by the British Crown for his work in archaeology. He was raised an atheist and as a brilliant student at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland and at Oxford University in England, he sat at the feet of theological modernists and skeptics who disbelieved the Bible. It was assumed that the Bible is not historically accurate and contains a large portion of mythology. When Ramsey began archaeological and historical research in Asia Minor beginning in 1881, he expected to find facts that would disprove the Bible. He expected to find more evidence against it. But instead, he discovered fact after fact after fact that supported the Bible, and he ended up converting to Christianity. Vigio Olsen was a brilliant surgeon. In 1951, he was challenged by his wife's parents to examine the claims of Christianity for himself. Olson recalls, just like a surgeon incises a chest, we were going to slash into the Bible and dissect out all its embarrassing scientific mistakes. Well, after he started the investigation, he ran into problems and he remembers that he had trouble finding the scientific mistakes. He said this, We'd find something that seemed to be an error, but on further reflection and study, we saw that our understanding had been shallow. That made us sit up and take notice. After examining the evidence, Olson became a Christian, and he later gave his life to, be, to become a missionary in Bangladesh. What about us? Are we convinced? 
Are we convinced that this Bible is 100% true and accurate? Are we convinced that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God? Are we convinced that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching? Are we convinced that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword? Are we convinced of this book? Because if we are convinced, then we will prioritize it. We will read it. We will live by it. And it will become part of who we are. Are we convinced? Once we're convinced to follow and make a recipe, then we consume it, right? It's a good part. It goes from the lips to the hips. What do they say? A moment on the lips, forever on the hips, something like that. And you know, there's nothing better than sitting down and eating and consuming a good meal. It's awesome. But the thing I hate most about cooking is that you spend so long preparing that meal, so long cleaning up, and so short consuming it. You know, it's just, it's so unfair. <laughs> Anyway, the Bible is like a delicious meal, and it is there for us to consume. And the more we consume it, the more it fulfills us. Psalm 119 verse 20 says, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. That's my prayer. Lord, consume me with longing for this book. Mary Jones, so I'm telling a few stories this morning. That's why I've got my stool. Mary Jones was born in 1784 in North Wales in the United Kingdom. She came from a poor family, her parents were Christians, but tragically at the age of four, her father died. At the age of eight, Mary got saved. She wanted a Welsh Bible, which in those days were rare and really expensive. So the only Bible that she could, the nearest copy of a Bible that she could get a hold of to read was at a neighbor's some two miles away. So she would regularly go and walk to that neighbor's and she would read the word and she'd memorize parts of it. She was so in love with the Bible that she began to save to get her own copy. I don't know how she did this because I'm guessing she was still quite young. So she probably got odd jobs and so she saved and she saved. It took her six years, six years, finally she had enough for her own Bible, so she decided to make the trek to get one. Well, she had to walk 42 kilometers, 42 kilometers barefoot. I guess all her money was saved for that Bible, so she didn't have enough for shoes. So I Googled that, and Google told me that that would take about six to eight hours of walking in bare feet. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the blisters that would have been on her feet after getting there? Anyway, she finally arrived and she bought her Bible. Can you imagine how happy she must have been? Well, the owner of the Bible that she bought, Thomas Charles, after seeing Mary's hunger, determination, and sacrifice, proposed forming a society to supply Wales with Bibles. This society expanded to the UK and then all over the world. In 1804, the Bible Society was formed. Today, there are 140 Bible Societies worldwide. In fact, Dad is the president of our very own Bible Society here in New Zealand. Mary was consumed by the Bible. She was convinced of its truth and she was willing to do everything she could to consume it. She was willing to walk two miles to her neighbors just to read it and memorize it. She was willing to save for six years and then walk the 42 kilometers barefooted to get it. And because of her passion for the word of God, the Bible Society was formed. It's pretty inspiring. That inspires me. How much do I consume this book? Do I read it whenever I get a chance? Or do I just kinda flick through it? Because there's a difference of reading 
and being consumed. You know, reading is just every now and then we pick it up, we read it, that's fine. Consuming, man, that's when we're hungry. That's like chocolate. We can't get enough of it. We just need more. You know, and we consume it and we consume it and it starts to consume us and it starts to fulfill us and that's where we want to journey to. We want to be consumed. Well, these recipe books that I bought this morning, um, Rima Recipes, some of you might have that, it's a goodie, and the Edmunds Cookbook and a few others, just having them won't cook my meal. I really wish that they would. That would just make my life so much easier. But the fact that I have them is not gonna put a dinner on the table. I have to do something. And that's where we need to be compelled. We need to be compelled to be doers of the word. Like we heard last week, we can't just hear it, come, sit, hear, leave. We can do that, but the recipe won't be made. The word won't be that double edged sword and our lives won't be a reflection of what we are reading in the Bible. Great men and women who have been convinced, consumed and compelled by the Bible, like William Tyndale and Mary Jones, have made it possible for us to have this Bible in our hands today or on our phones or wherever it might be. In our own nation, Samuel Marsden, <clears throat> the Williams brothers and key Māori chiefs all contributed to getting the Bible translated into Tereo, which was a huge part of actually spreading the gospel in, in, in New Zealand. But there was one girl in particular whose story really moved me. Tarori was a young Māori girl who lived in Waharoa and near Matamata. Her great uncle was the famous warrior chief of the Ngāti Hawa in Te Waharoa. In 1835, Alfred and Charlotte Brown established the first mission school in Waikato, near where Tarori lived. Well, she attended the school and she learned to read and write, and as a reward, she was given a copy of the newly published Gospel of Luke in Tereo. Tarori treasured her little book. She actually wore it in a kiti around her neck. She loved it so much that she had to share it. She read it to her people and the message of peace and forgiveness taught by Jesus had a profound impact on them, including her father, Nakuku, who became a Christian. In October of 1836, the mission school was forced to relocate to Tauranga due to tensions between rival tribes. Nakuku led the missions party, which included 21 children, on the trek to Tauranga, and as they camped overnight, the party was raided by some warriors. Everyone except Tarori escaped. She was killed, and her little book was taken from her kiti. Tawori's father took her body back to Waharoa and buried her. Māori custom required him to take revenge on his daughter's killers, but because of the message that his daughter had shared, Nakuku resisted revenge and instead chose to forgive those responsible for Tawori's murder. It's pretty huge. That's a, a real impact on his life. Meanwhile, in Rotorua, a slave boy met up with the man who killed Tarori and read to him from the book that he had stolen, the same little book that was in her kitty around her neck. Well, this man was astounded at the message in it, and sometime later, he sought out Nakuku and asked for his forgiveness. Nakuku forgave him, which was the beginning of peace between the tribes of Matamata and Rotorua. Not only did Tarori's gospel bring peace to two rival Waikato tribes, but it influenced two other men as well, Tamahana and Matahini and Oteki, and they ended up with parts of that book. They went on to become missionaries to the South Island, preaching the good news wherever they went. One girl who treasured this book, 
who loved it so much, who was compelled to share it and to speak it to everyone she met, changed history, our history. And that was how the gospel was spread in our very own Aotearoa. Jeremiah 20 verse nine says, but if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Jeremiah was compelled to share this word, to speak it out. The disciples were compelled to live their lives, spreading the gospel, even at the cost of their own lives. Great men and women down throughout history have been compelled to do more than just be convinced about this book, do more than just be consumed by it, but actually do something with it. And that's where we wanna move to. It is a little bit daunting. It is a little bit scary. There is a lot in this book to live up to, right? But that's why the Holy Spirit is with each one of us. And that's what Christianity is all about. I'm tired of a watered down Christianity. I'm tired of a Christianity where we don't see the power in this book. But as we are convinced, consumed and compelled to take action, we will see the power of this book. We will see the book of Acts. We will see breakthrough. We will be changed. Our nation will be changed and revival will come, but we do need to be compelled. Smith Wigglesworth said, never think or say that this book contains the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It is supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, inexpressible in value, universal in interest, personal in application, inspired in totality. Read it through, write it down, pray it in, work it out, and pass it on. It is the Word of God. That's a great quote. I love that quote. Psalm 119 verse nine in the message translation says, how can a young person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your word. I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs that you have posted. It's a great verse, isn't it? You know, if we wanna live a pure life, we need to be in this book. We need to not miss the map that he's given us and the signposts that he's written down. To be convinced We do have to read the Bible. As Charles Spurgeon once said, I usually find the greatest doubters are those who do not read the book. And we don't wanna be like this kid that's gonna come up on the screen. Uh, When they read that verse, children obey your parents, this is his reaction. I'm pretty sure that's my kid's reaction as well. (laughs) But listen, I wanna encourage you, if you're not doing it already, we need to be reading the Bible every day. Why don't you get a plan? Sam and I, we follow um, Nikki Gumbel from Alpha and it gets us through the Bible in a year. It's a devotional at the beginning and then the chapters for the day and we love it and it really helps us. There are heaps of plans out there. There is um, the word for today with soul food and so many other resources. If you've got version on your phone, which I'm sure most of you do, there's loads of, of plans out there that you can get a hold of and get into it. You know, some Christians say, I wish Jesus would speak to me. I wish I knew his plans for my life. I wish he would answer my prayers. If we are not in this book, we're not gonna feel that. But if we're in this book, this is Jesus speaking to us. It is him in written form. He will show us the direction for our life. And many of our prayers will be answered as we're in this book. There are also loads of resources that you can um, follow up on if you do wanna be more convinced. 
You know, there's a couple of authors, Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell, Josh McDowell, um, who have written books about their journeys from atheism to Christianity and uh, just explore that. But there's lots of stuff about it too. This book is true, it is accurate, and you can learn about it more for yourself if you want to do that. So come on, let's make time. Let's establish it as a foundation in our lives. Secondly, like I said before, we need to move from just being convinced to consuming it and then being consumed by it. The more we start to get a hunger for this word, which comes by reading, we've got to start by opening it. And as we do more and more, as we give it more time, more priority, it will start to consume us. We will be consumed by it. We'll want to get it whenever we can. You know, you don't even have to read it. You can listen to it on version, um, and it will start to consume our lives and it will become a priority. And as we get consumed, then we're going to be compelled to take action, and that is the most important step. Like we've heard about the last couple of weeks, it's a long journey. It's a lifelong journey. It's not easy, but God is with us. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. He will help us take action. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to you know, be overwhelmed and think, oh my goodness, we've got to do everything. God is with us and help us. will help us in this journey. And you know, one thing I was thinking about it, one way that we can be compelled to take action is if we just would take one thing once a week that we have read or heard from this book, and if we would write it down and try in some way to put it into action, then I truly believe that we would be transformed. I honestly believe that we would be completely different, that our church would be different, our community would be different. It's, it's, you know, it's one thing to listen and, and to hear it, and that's good. It's even great to consume it. I mean, that's a, a great step. But once we start to be compelled to action, that's when the power will start to flow. We can do it. It is possible. Jesus is with us, and he will help us. Joshua 1 verse 8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. If I could have the band to come, that'd be great. I heard one preacher say that the world gives us a number, but God gives us a name. So true, isn't it? This book is full of our name. The Bible is our recipe book for life. It is the key to knowing God and living Christianity out as it was intended. The Bible is either the biggest fraud ever perpetrated on mankind or it describes God and Jesus as exactly who he claims to be, the supreme Lord and ruler of all of mankind and the very creator God of the universe. I am totally convinced. I'm working on being consumed and getting more and more consumed by this book so that I can be compelled to take action. Come on, let's journey this together.